Um, let's dive into the text today. Uh, before, before we do, um, my fr- I remember my first year that I was eligible to vote. Uh, how many of you are in the room, this is your first year, you'll be eligible to vote? Anybody in the room? All right, all right, cool. So people in the house, first time eligible. I remember the, the first time I was eligible to vote, and the night of the election, I stayed up literally till like four in the morning watching it. It was a close one. And I remember staying up all night, um, and while it sounds like I'm super interested in politics, I was totally faking it. I was totally faking it because I stayed up all night with a girl. Um, I, and we were hanging out and talking literally almost the whole night, and so sometimes it pays to fake that you like politics because that's my wife. So that was like our first night. It's kind of a, a memorable moment. I remember November 2nd and us uh, just kind of staying up all night chatting, both acting like we were interested in politics when really neither one of us were. But we were very interested in each other, and so sometimes it pays to, to fake it. Uh, we're in this whole crazy political cycle, right, right now, and uh, you're probably tired of campaign ads and the stuff, and each candidate's kind of coming forward and trying to show their strength and uh, their confidence and their somewhat plans that they have put together uh, and trying to show that they're the best candidate uh, in many different ways, right? And uh, we get kind of tired of all that, and, and it seems that over the course of um, any election kind of cycle, um, most of us, and it really doesn't matter what you know, party side or any of that stuff, I think just ultimately whoever's in office, at some point we realize, oh, they're not our savior. <laughs> oh, they're not going to make everything great again. They're not going to make everything perfect. They're not going to completely now restore all the hope and pride to every single body, uh, every single person. Um, and, and so I think we, we kind of begin to long for a, a king, though, that can put everything back together and make America great again, right? Uh, and that's not, that's not an endorsement. That's just, that's, we hear those slogans thrown around. All of them have one, and it's to kind of hopefully try to kind of bring some kind of hope to us that we would believe in their campaign, can believe in them. Uh, but the truth of the matter, as we as Christians, we need not search for a, a rescuing king, We've found our rescuing king. He's come, he's died, he's resurrected, he's alive today. And so uh, even as we hit the ballots this past, uh, was that this past Tuesday or the week before, whenever it was? Um, even as we do those things and as this year progresses, our rescuing king has come. And uh, today is an is a, is a awesome day um, because it's Palm Sunday. And for those of you that don't know, probably 90, 95% of the global church around the world um, will turn their attention to Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem for the last time to be crucified. It's a really, really unique day. Even with Easter, many times we jump to a lot of different texts, and we can go a lot of different places to turn our attention. But this day is so unique because we, we have one kind of this picture of Jesus coming into this, and many times we're gathered around John chapter 12. And so I want to do that today, and at the heart of what I want to share is, in each of our lives, what does it really mean to welcome a different kind of king. Maybe a different kind of king than what we originally thought we were signing up for when we said yes to Jesus. I, I, I heard uh, one uh, public speaker, um, I remember reading his book and I saw him in person, and he said, man, if I would have known that Jesus would have made me change everything about my life, then I probably wouldn't have said yes from the beginning, right? So maybe you thought you were following a different kind of king, a different kind of savior, uh, and I, I want to kind of talk to our hearts today and just see what it might look like for us to open our hearts and truly welcome a different kind of king. So we're going to start with the text, John chapter 12. We'll unpack um, maybe three verses, maybe five, uh, six verses here, and then we'll, we'll dive into to what God's laid on my heart. Uh, the next day, the great crowd had, uh, that had come together for the festival heard that Jesus 
was on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming. He's seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that the things that had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. There were several prophecies in there, one from Psalm 118 and another from uh, Zechariah 9.9. Now the Lord that uh, that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he uh, had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So I want to give you a picture. So at the very beginning, it says that there's this festival, that the people gather together for a festival. The only thing we really have like this um, is, I guess, Easter, or we may better understand it as like a music festival, something like a a Woodstock or a Bonnaroo, like something where people gather and they come from all over the place. Even like Easter, like we just kind of gather. But like a music festival, people come together, they stay out in tents. I don't know if you've ever been a part of those, uh, one of those hippie kind of music events. But everybody comes out and they kind of get in tents and um, they kind of gather together for this uh, thing. And so people are gathering together for this festival, the festival of Passover. And there was kind of traditions and parades that went along with that. And on one side of the city, I want you to get this picture of city. Just think of an aerial view of Jerusalem the, week, the weekend before um, Jesus uh, would go to the cross. On one side, there's Pilate riding in on a horse and parades of people singing songs about him and kind of giving him all kind of hoorahs as he's entering the city. And they just, it was like a parade. All these things were going on. And then on the other side of the city, I don't know if the timelines matched up, but in, in the same vicinity, the same weekend, Jesus comes walking, like not like saying, hey, let's get the people together and let's do a parade. They had seen him perform the miraculous sign of raising Lazarus from the dead, and they begin to put their faith and belief in Jesus. And so we get this picture of Pilate entering in and all the king's men and all the king's horses coming in on one side, and they're a parade for him. And on the other side, we see Jesus coming in, hopping on a donkey, and people waving palm branches. So we see these Kind of very interesting um, par- uh, parallel, but dichotomy, like this difference there um, in, in what's happening in the city at this time for this parade. And so as we move to the text, I just want to set that as kind of a background of what's actually taking place. Come together for the Passover feast. Um, and we get into the text, uh, verse uh, 13. They began to shout what? Hosanna. Hosanna. The word Hosanna comes from two Hebrew words that literally mean, the two words put together, Hebrew words, save us now. Save us now. You ever been in a save us now? Like, save us now? I've heard of stories of people that were in car accidents, and they just call out Jesus, and it's like a save us now moment. Um, I, I vaguely remember my wife telling me about a time they were on the side of the road, and there was this strange man that looked like he had intent to harm them. Is this right, Taryn? happened when you were a little child, and there was this man that was coming towards them, and your mom just called out, I don't think she called Hosanna, but I think she just said, in Jesus' name, or in Jesus, just said Jesus' name, and all of a sudden, this guy that was coming at them with ill intent, like he was not there to help, um, like literally vanished, like he was there, and then he was not, and so we've all come to places in our life where it's a save us now moment, and we're in a now generation, and sometimes that save us now is like, I'm so hungry, I haven't eaten in like two hours. You know, sometimes we blow that up, but we'll all hit a place in our life where we are in a real save us now. 
And if you begin to look at the history of the people of, of God, of Israel, they had longed for a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. Um, and so when Jesus is coming, they're, they're saying, save us now. Get us up out of this oppression. Uh, there's like political and religious tension, and things have changed, and they're very different. Um, they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting Psalm 118 here, blessed is the king of Israel. And what's really interesting, this is just a side note for, for Bible nerds in the house, is that the, the, the phrase king of Israel being used towards Jesus um, is first used in Matthew. It's for, and this will be important kind of as we kind of understand what they're looking for in a leader, in a king. So Matthew 1, if you know what Matthew 1 is, it's a genealogy. It's unpacking kind of the history and how Jesus is in this great line from, you know, from Abraham, um, now through David, and then now to Jesus. And they're connecting that. So when they, they say king of Israel, in, the, in Matthew chapter 1, I think it's verse 6, the reference of king of Israel is first used in the New Testament regarding David, King David. That's where they're kind of bringing it. And now in the Gospel of John, the first time king of Israel is used, it's Nathaniel the prophet saying, you are the king of Israel, talking about Jesus. And, and so that reference where the first time in the New Testament is to David and the first time in the, in the Gospel of John is to Jesus. So there's this connection always between the king because, right, they were the star of David. Jews were the star of David. He, he, he's a, kind of an exemplary model of what they look for in a king. Uh, not only does he have the chiseled abs like the statue, uh, who knows if he actually had a, but he was this great warrior. People sang songs about him that frustrated the king Saul. And he was just this great leader that was not only strong, but also compassionate, right? Isn't that what we're looking for in our leaders? Somebody strong and compassionate, and that's what we find in Jesus. But he was going to be a different kind of king. So they're saying, save us now. So the first thing I really want us to talk about as we're kind of unpacking, what does it mean to welcome a different kind of king is, is first of all, that Jesus, Jesus saves differently. Jesus saves differently. They're calling out, save us now. They're looking for like this great political revolutionary leader to save them. And he's not hopping on uh, a horse, like, in, like overthrowing the government. But he's hopping on a donkey. And he's sending a very clear picture that he's different. He's different. He's going to save differently. I remember walking around in Paris and all the uh, Joan of Arc and Napoleon, all these people, they're, they're riding on horses and it's like the symbol of war. The horse has always been a symbol of war. If this person's on a horse, you've come to do battle. But the donkey, not as much, right? The donkey has always been a symbol of peace. So Jesus you know, hops on a donkey, when they're kind of wanting overthrow, they're seeing Jesus come in, blesses the name, you're the king of Israel, um, they're kind of bringing all his glory, they're, they're praying that he would rise in prosperity and honor and dignity, and he's, he's going to a cross, right? He was not going to save them the way they thought. They didn't quite understand, even his disciples who he had prophesied and said so much, like, they didn't quite unpack what he was talking about until it was all said and done, until he was glorified, until he died. It was resurrected. And so in our own lives today, like maybe God's not saving in our timing, right? God ever not worked in your timing, right? Like he rarely works in our timing. Like, man, that worked out just like I told God I wanted that to, to work out. And so I, I think one of the things that we can know, how are we tracking with this? Because when we see eternal, uh, when we see temporary pain of life, of things not working out like we want, God sees eternal gain, Right? 
And so things, he may allow things to happen. He, he may uh, cause things to happen in our life. And while we're struggling through the, the pain that is temporary in this life, he is bringing us towards eternal gain. God, God is not only all-powerful and um, omnipresent, but he is omniscient. If you know what that means, it means um, he he's, knows everything. He knows everything. And if I asked a poll in the room, how many of you would like, if you could have the power to know anything and everything, how many of you would want that power? For, at first, you're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then maybe in, in a wiser moment, we're like, that sounds terrible, knowing what every single person thought. And most of us wouldn't even want that power. And if I did, did another poll and said, how many of you actually believe that, 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 that God is omni, um, excuse me, omniscient? How many of you believe that he's omniscient? And most of you, if not all of you, would say, yeah, I believe that God knows everything. Some of you may be struggling with that idea. But a high majority of us, now how many of us actually live in understanding when we go through struggles in our life that God we, we truly trust him in those things. And so those are moments in which our trust is stretched. And like, do you actually believe that God knows what he's doing, right? So m- many times it will be like, God, I trust and I believe. You're all-knowing. You put stars in their place. You got the, the sun spinner, the earth spinner, however all that works. You got that going. But this whole thing with me finding Mr. or Mrs. Right, you're just not doing this in my timing. You need to get this. You need to get on the same page with me. Right? Or, God, I've been working so hard, I'm work, working for this promotion, I've been doing everything, and the timing's just not working out like I thought, right? So we trust him in this kind of, in this belief that he put the stars in place, yet we, we doubt in the kind of the, the smaller, maybe the smaller things of life that he's actually working and doing those things. So he's not going to save in the way we thought. I love what Isaiah 55 says, verses 8 and 9, and Jesus is, or God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about himself. He's like, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are, are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like sometimes we think, right, we think we're getting close, right, to figuring God out. Like I think it's about this. This is like, no, it's like so far above that. Like even when we grasp like some great truth about God and what he's doing, like his ways are so much higher and deeper and wider than ours and I think sometimes we just kind of doubt and struggle through life and we don't believe that, man, we serve this God who he's got it figured out. My son asks me questions like crazy and it drives me nuts. And I just want him just to trust me and like, bro, I know how to get, he's like, we're going the wrong way. I'm like, don't start, I don't need another backseat driver right now. Um, his mom is good about it. His mom's good about it. I wasn't, that wasn't towards her. I just don't need one. And I want him to trust me. Like, bro, I've been driving around. Honestly, here, here's another thing. This is completely random. But I was terrible at directions before I moved to Jacksonville. Literally terrible. I could get lost in my own neighborhood. And, and I lived on a major street. Um, and then we moved here. And God, I feel like this is a spiritual gift that God gave me of navigation. <laughs> Where I did not have it. And then I moved here to plant the church. And I now can get around the city in, in pretty great fashion. Uh, so I don't think that's listed in the Bible, the gift of navigation. But... It worked out. Um, begging for my son, just trust me, man. Just trust me. What I'm trying to get at is that, that God saves differently. He's a different kind of king, and he's not going to save in the way we think he's going to save. We may be expecting a Davidic kind of thing, riding on a horse to like conquer everything. And so we go in and we're cutting people's ears off like Peter was in the garden, and Jesus just takes the ear and puts it back on. He's like, that's not how we're going to roll. 
It's going to be a different kind of revolution. It's going to be a different kind of, of kingdom that I'm establishing. For those of you in our anchor groups, you've been studying James. You remember James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4? It says, Consider it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I love this line. Let, fairness, let perseverance finish its work. Don't hit the eject button too quick. God's doing something in that so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we see the temporary pain, he's dragging us into the eternal gain. So just rest. He's got it under control. He's doing good things out of the brokenness of our world. Okay? Um, he's going to save a little bit differently than what we think. Not only is our king, not only does he save differently, but he's going to show his power differently. Right? It wasn't just hopping on a donkey and kind of giving this very dichotomy there, but it was gonna, he was going to show power in a very different way. Um, not only was he, he here hopping on a donkey, but remember the palm branches? A lot of time, I've heard a lot of different messages and people talking about what that actually symbolized. Uh, about a hundred years later after this, the palm branch would go on a, a, a minted coin for um, the people there, and it was a symbol of power. And it was a connection. They would also, uh, when a king was coming to place, they would, they would you know, wave this palm branch. And it, and it was kind of a portrait of power and, and kingship and sovereignty over Israel. And so there's a, a deep connection to what these are. And, and we can kind of look to where a lot of things are. But basically, if you want to know what they are, it's a symbol of power. And they're kind of raining this on Jesus. But Jesus, again, was going to show power in um, a very different way. Uh, if, if we skip down um, a, a little bit and we pick up at verse 23 in John chapter 12, where we're navigating here, we skip down a little bit and Jesus is prophesying about his death and he says this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. I want to I highlight a couple things. We'll come back down later in the text. But in verse 24, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seed. Jesus is not only prophesying about his death, which we often connect but we often miss this thing about a multiplication in the church, right? He's had a lot of people that have listened to messages of his, and he's begin, he started with just like a couple of guys that came around him, and then 12, uh, and then now it's about to go down to 11, <laughs> right? And then the, the 72, that we see them, send, you know, Jesus sending out. So it's growing, but Jesus is also prophesying not only about his death here, but there's about to be an explosion of influence when I die, there's going to be something far greater, and I can stay with you, and that would be comfortable. Like we sing the song here about, I could just stay here, I could just stay here in your arms, that'd be great. But you're calling me to more, you're calling me to something higher, calling me something to deeper. And I think that also resonates with what this, te- this text is saying, is that in our lives, if the influence that God's called us to be, and, and show power in our life, right? Maybe you've got a situation at work that that one person is challenging you, not in like a, they're in your face, but they're just driving you crazy, Um, or maybe it's a family member or some kind of situation that's really challenging you, and most of the time we want to do what Peter did in the garden and show power and like cut somebody's ear off. (laughs) Not literally, you know that. Uh, We want to show power. We want to get aggressive. We want to get this figured out. We want to 
push through. But Jesus is saying it's going to be very differently. I'm going to show power not only by hopping on donkey and that being symbolic, but actually in the way he lives in that it would cause, it would call us to death, to die, not necessarily physically, for many it will. In fact, just this weekend I heard of a pastor in Guatemala who were headed down there here in, in, in just a, a few short weeks it seems, and uh, he was assassinated. And what I'm praying over that is that, that God will move and people will come to know him, um, and that God will do something through that, unless a kernel of wheat dies. It stays only that single seed. So I wonder, like in our life, what God might be calling us to die to. I wonder what um, he might be saying to us about this and the influence he wants us to have. Um, Jesus is showing a completely different model of leadership. Completely different model of leadership. That he will not ride on the horse with a sword, but he's going to ride on a donkey and come humbly and be arrested and not put up a fight and heal somebody's ear that actually is hurt in the war. Um, he, he's shown a very different picture. What's really interesting, those of you that are in corporate America, <clears throat> you've probably even been aware of it in the past few years, something really interesting that's happened in, in the circles um, of leadership development. One of the hottest things the past five years has been servant leadership, a.k.a. Jesus leadership. People around the world, as some Christian leaders have uh, risen up and like their companies have become successful, people have looked at their leadership, what's making them successful, and, and there's, been, there's all kinds of books out there now where I, I guess 10 years ago, there were probably like one, and like they were like church books, and they were not in corporate America, but even among corporate America, it's become so popular because they see that this is so attractive when people serve you as leaders. Some of you um, may have heard of Monday, Thursday, or in more liturgical churches, you've heard of that. And what it's, it is, and most of the time those services are communion, uh, and it's Jesus' last kind of supper with them, and he also washes their feet. So many times there's their feet washing in communion services. And that's how Jesus is going to show leadership. He's not only going to sacrifice his life, he's going to wrap a towel around his waist, and he's going to serve. He's going to be showing his power in a very different way, where he's not looking for a stage to preach on, the crowds are coming around him. He's going to find a quiet room, and he's going to wrap a towel around his waist, and he's going to wash his closest friend's feet. And so I don't know what's kind of going on in your life, who your sphere of influence is, or even if you can care about that. Um, but I believe the gospel speaks to us and calls us to come and die, to follow him. Anyone that wants to save their life, will lose it. But our influence happens when we begin to plant those seeds of service. And so this week... In your life, what I challenge you is find those moments to plant seeds of sacrificing yourself, putting selfishness aside, and know that God's going to raise you up. Remember that promotion we were talking about, things not working out? Who would you want to promote, somebody that's selfish or someone that's unselfish? Probably someone that's unselfish. You would promote them. So if you want that promotion, just start being unselfish. Start planting those seeds. Um, what kind of spouse would you want? You're out there looking for uh, a spouse do you want someone selfish or unselfish? Just start planting seeds of unselfishness and sacrifice and service. Just start planting those everywhere you can go and know that God, not only is God going to do incredible things for your kingdom, but those things are actually attractive. And the things that you were hoping would work out in your time, as you plant those seeds, you're going to see something go forward, not only in, in our influence in the kingdom, but um, also in our individual lives and the things that we're longing for. So he's going to show his power a little bit differently. Lastly, Go back to that, that verse, uh, 23 through 28, whatever there, and John, thank you. 
Anyone who loves their life will lose it, and anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Got to be honest, I've always hated this translation because you got to like really you got to hate your life. Like is that, I got to hate my life. And Jesus, as much as we get into the kind of hate and love um, kind of picture here, I think the, ultimately what he's saying is you got to love my kingdom more than you love your stuff, more than you, you love pleasing people. You've, you've got to love me more than you love everything else. So we get caught up on the word hate like I often do. But I think ultimately he's saying you, you got to love me more than everything. When you find yourself loving stuff, and it's getting in the way of your service towards the Lord, then maybe there's a problem. If you find you're, you're thinking more about what people are thinking about you than what you're thinking about God's thinking about you, then maybe something needs to change. Whoever serves me must follow me. Last thing um, I, I want to look at here, and you can go back to it, um, is that our king leads by example. He leads differently. He leads by example the first thing Jesus did is he's going out and, and calling disciples. Anybody know what he says to his disciples? Come, follow me. Come, follow me. He's calling them to actual following. And most of us, I, I think we, we lose this aspect of following Jesus on a daily basis. I think we can get this idea of Lord and Savior, I'm going to follow you with my life. And it's kind of vague and not tangible and there's not literally daily steps. Though we often complain that, man, I just feel like I don't hear God and he's not leading me. And sometimes we, we complain about those things. But he leads differently. And it's not always the, the way we think. He's given us his scripture. He's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. But he doesn't always lead just the, the way we, we think he's going to lead. But he, he lays down his life and he sets an example. So when he says, come follow me, and if anybody wants to serve me, then they must, they must follow me. And so I, I kind of want to get on a deeply kind of personal level, like what's your real relationship look like with the Lord today? And maybe you're in the house and like you've never said yes to following Jesus. You may have done religious stuff. You may have gotten dunked in water. You may have taken communion. You may have been the most faithful person on the front row of the church but you've never literally went from death to life. I'm set, putting all this aside that I may follow this Jesus. I've never truly welcomed him into my heart. I'm just kind of welcomed the idea of Jesus. And maybe you're in that place today and you can make a bold confession of faith today by saying, God, I'm a sinner. I can't do this on, on my own. I, I know I'm no good on my own. But I believe in you. I believe what happened at the cross. God, teach me, lead me into all truth, confessing my sins to you today. So you can lead, lead us into that today. Maybe you're in that place. Maybe you're in a different place, and maybe you're uh, just kind of been going through the motions, and you've lost that kind of intimacy of following Jesus on a daily basis, that Jesus would actually lead us somewhere. And I think if we can see, like, no change, maybe not in the course of a month, but maybe we take it out a year or two or three years or five years, and there's been really no kind of significant spiritual change where we've been going from being less selfish or being more selfish to being less selfish. We've seen those kind of transitions. More stress to, like, more at peace with God. If we haven't seen those transitions, I wonder just on a daily basis what that following him might actually be looking like. Are we actually following him? And I love what Galatians 5, 24 
25, that, that his spirit, we're to keep in step with his spirit. Those who, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified that flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. That when he says, when, when he, he sets an example of, of how he's going to lead and serve, I believe he calls us into that, to, to sacrifice everything and, and to love him more than anything or any person And some of us, we just kind of say we're following Jesus, but on a daily basis, there's really, there's really nothing happening. Like, if we're just really honest, we haven't followed him anywhere. Like, he's going, and hopefully, yeah, he's right by my side, or I'm on his shoulders, however one of the poems go. Um, but when we get real and we talk, like, what's actually happening? Like, where's, okay, if you're following him, where's he led you lately? And if that's challenging to us today, good. Like, I, I want that to be challenging today. And if God's leading you places and doing things, I want to celebrate that, and that's incredible. And, like, know that that's going to be planting those seeds just along for the kingdom. But I want us to be a place, and I want us to be a people that follow Jesus' example. And when we say we're following him, we literally follow him. I visited an anchor group this past week, and conversation was I uh, got brought up just about kind of this, you know, um, acting out what we believe. And um, I remember thinking as I'm hearing just, you know, people being persecuted all around the world. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, it's so easy to be comfortable in America. It's so easy to kind of just go through the kind of religious motions and everything's fine. Um, But God's calling us to more, to follow him, and not to just kind of live in this comfortable American Christianity, but to truly follow him, truly surrender him. And it's when those seeds are planted that many more will come forward. And so I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're in that comfortable place. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Um, maybe God's leading you into new territory. And I just want you to stand, and I'm going to pray for us. Um, go ahead and stand, everybody. Yeah. Sorry, you're not making a confession. I, I just want to... I want to pray over you today for those different groups of people. If you've never said yes to Jesus, uh, I'd love the opportunity to pray with you as they lead us in this next song, just at one of the crosses. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I'll invite us to the table today. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are different, and you are good. You're omniscient. God, when we know little, you know much. Um, God, I pray that you'd bring peace to the heart today that's struggling to make literally the biggest decision of their life to put their faith, God. And you are drawing them so they need not be afraid. You've invited them in. You've made a way for them. God, I pray that they, that they would not be afraid to make a bold step of confession towards you today. Uh, God, we love you. God, stretch us, challenge us, us, challenge us, God, that you, to show power of the kingdom in heaven, show it so differently, God, to show it how you showed it with peace and humility and service, God, that we would wrap a towel around our waist in our own homes, whatever that might look like, and in our, in our jobs, God, in our daily walk, that we wouldn't look for a, a stage, but, God, we'd be looking for feet to wash. God, we trust you. We celebrate you. God, for those that you're calling into deeper waters, I pray that they'd make those steps bold and obvious today. And, God, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. About Jesus. We welcome you today. We welcome you. We celebrate it in Christ's name. Amen.